Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, glad to see you all on this cold, wintry day. Where are you going, Michael? You gonna hobble back through, or? Okay. <laughs> 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 well, we're in week three of a series titled "A Window into the Church." And uh, so far, we've examined the scriptures to see what they tell us about uh, themselves and um, the authority that they have. Uh, then, we, then we took a brief, very brief dive into something called textual criticism. We discovered there that the New Testament has the best textual evidence of any historical book. Uh, it, it's better literary evidence of its existence and accuracy than Shakespeare. It's better than Homer. Uh, than uh, Julius Caesar's writings. Uh, and then last week we reminded ourselves of the unique and intimate connection to Jesus and to each other we have in this thing called the church. And Jesus is building those who believe into the holy temple that's going to bring glory to God every day um, until Jesus returns. Now, um, having said all that as somewhat of an introduction, I just... There's light at the end of the tunnel with the building. I have a slide here. Lights are up in the auditorium. Um, there's been lots of stuff going on that, that, that a picture wouldn't do you any good. But that you can see, um, there's lights there again. So that's good. We're getting close. Um, and hopefully that light at the end of the tunnel is not a train coming. Yes, thank you. Somebody finished the phrase for Um so, anyways, this morning we're going to remind ourselves of the purpose of the church. It's not just a building. Jesus gave us the church purpose. So our title this morning is called, it is this, Make Disciples. Make Disciples, something simple. And we'll be in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Our study this morning is going to be broken into two parts. To Galilee, Matthew 28, 16 and 17, and then to the world, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All right. So uh, turn, if you would, in your Bible or scroll in your device to Matthew 28. We're going to look at the last verses, verses 16 to 20. And then follow as I read. Here's what Matthew writes. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All God's truth is Amen. Amen. So what do we want to take away from this this morning? Um, again, as we go through this series on the church, some of it's going to sound like stuff you've heard before, but it's always good to remind ourselves we are a forgetful people. That's why we're going to celebrate the Lord's table later. It's to remind us of what Jesus did, because we're forgetful. So it's good to remind ourselves of these things about the church and the purpose of the church. And so what we would want to take away this morning is this. We have been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. 
We've been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the, the first two verses. To Galilee. So Matthew draws a really big contrast as he moves from verse 15 and actually verses 11 to 15 into verses 28, 16 to 20. See, the guards in the previous uh, paragraph, the, the ones who secured the tomb, are bribed with money by the chief priests. And, and they're told to spread the story that while we were asleep, guards speaking, while we, the guards, were asleep, the disciples came and stole a body away. He didn't really rise from the dead. So that that's one statement of what's, what was done. And Matthew says that that story circulates to the day even of his writing. And you still hear people say that today. But he draws a big comparison. He says, now, now the 11 disciples, and what he's drawing out here is this, this contrast between the guards who are bribed with money to tell their story, and the 11 disciples, on the other hand, are called upon to tell the gospel story, receiving nothing but Jesus' promise of his presence now and forever. Contrast is important. It's important because it, it, it underscores the reality of the resurrected Christ. It underscores Jesus' resurrection. The 11 are motivated by the fact that Jesus rose from the grave just as he promised. That's their motivation. It's fact. They're motivated by the fact that they have seen Jesus at least, at least once. In the case of Thomas. You remember Thomas? Jesus shows up in the upper room as the resurrected Lord. Thomas isn't there. Thomas shows up the next day, and they're like, you missed it. Jesus was here. And his comment is, I'm not going to believe that unless I can touch him, unless I can put my finger in the holes in his hands and my hand in his side. Well, Jesus showed up. So Thomas saw him at least once, and the others more than that. But remember, when we speak of the resurrection of Jesus, we're not dealing in myth. We're not dealing in wishful thinking. It's not some literary tool to, to, to draw a point out. It's not manufactured stories to achieve man's end. The resurrection is a fact. A fact which changed the lives of the 11 disciples and the lives of the others that were with him that day and the lives of countless others, including you, to this day. That's, and I had to pause as I was writing and thinking through this. How has the resurrection changed my life? How has it changed your life? You need to wrestle with that question. We forget about that. That our coming here on a Sunday morning, our time in the Bible, our time talking to others about Jesus is all based on a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The fact of the resurrection. How has it changed your life? The reality of the resurrection and Jesus' instruction to meet him in Galilee was about the eleven, what was what brought the eleven and the others with them to, to some unnamed mountain. We're not told what mountain in Galilee. We just know that they left Jerusalem and they went to Galilee. Matthew tells us that the whole company of people, the eleven disciples and the others with them, worshiped Jesus when they saw him. If you look at the text, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, as he had directed, and when they saw him, they worshipped. 
They all, they all bowed in worship. The, the word that, that Matthew uses here is the same one he uses in chapter 28, verse 9, when he says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped. The word worship means to bow down. It means to express submission. It means to show deference. It, it means literally to worship. The 11 knew exactly who was in front of them that morning, that afternoon, whatever time of day it was. They knew exactly who was there. It was the risen Jesus. They had seen him. They recognized him. They saw Jesus and immediately worshipped him. Now Matthew throws in something interesting here. He throws in this word doubted. Some doubted. And, and the word could be translated, and maybe it's better translated, hesitated. If you can picture in your mind, Jesus is there, there's, there's the 11 and then a group of people. We don't know how many, but there are others with them. And the disciple, Jesus comes, the disciples see him, and they bow down and worship, and, and they're just overjoyed. And then there were some that also followed their lead and bowed and worship, and there was others. And, and you and I might have been this way, who hesitated. We bow? Are we worshiping here? Who exactly... Who exactly is this? They were uncertain. Not that they doubted, oh, this isn't true. They, they were just, they were uncertain. When they saw the 11 bow down and worship, they hesitated due to just a number of, of unanswered questions. Seeing Jesus alive seemed just too good to be true. And so they hesitated. And as I read about this hesitation on the part of some, two thoughts come to mind. First, notice Jesus does not chastise the ones who hesitate. He doesn't demand they, they bow down too. He knows it's a lot for our puny little brains to grasp. He knows it's a lot for them to understand. He remembers what it was like when the disciples saw him for the first time. He knows how Timothy or Thomas responded, right? And that's the second part. We, we have to remember Jesus' words to Thomas when, when Jesus first appeared to him. Jesus said this, Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet have believed. So there's a lot of things going on for those that hesitated, for those that are there and had already seen him and, and were bowing down, and those that hesitated. It's a lot to grasp. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't chastise them. It's important to remember Jesus never forces anyone to believe. He doesn't force anyone to believe. Some religions, namely Islam, demands submission. There's a demand here. But Jesus says choose. He leaves it to you to choose. See, we've been called to make disciples. Of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at verses 18 to 20 to the world. So we have this, this intro Matthew gives us, kind of paints a real quick scene. They're on this mountainside, they're bowing down in worship. Jesus is there. Some hesitate. We're not sure what happens after that, if they bowed or if the disciples stood up. We're, 
where everybody just sat down. We're not told by Matthew. But what we are told is that Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Jesus speaks of an authority given to him by the Father. This doesn't mean that Jesus now has more authority than he had be, be, before the resurrection. In essence, the Father has broadened the sphere of Jesus' authority. His authority now includes all of heaven and earth, and, and it is no longer restricted by his human flesh. In the incarnation, he, he closed himself in human flesh. He, he humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. It said that he left his, his glory behind. So there was, there was a change in coming to earth in the sense that he, he limited himself. Now, now as the exalted Lord, he's able to, to demonstrate more authority, to, to issue more authority. He's no longer the form of a servant. He's the exalted Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so by giving Jesus this authority, the Father has vindicated Jesus and the humiliation he suffered on the cross. In essence, Jesus is no longer the suffering servant. Now he's the risen Lord. And he has all authority. And, and this, is, this authority is not the power of some two-bit tyrant we, we know on earth We've seen throughout history some, some tyrant who might wield some kind of power over a group of people, whether big or small. You know, the Father's given Jesus all authority in heaven and earth, which means all authority inside and outside of creation. This is why one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. This also means that Jesus has authority over you and me every aspect of our life. Knowing that Jesus has authority over every aspect of your life, how are you compelled to change the way you live? We have to ask ourselves, how am I compelled to change the way I'm currently living? Knowing that Jesus has authority over every aspect of my life. It's a legit question that everybody must wrestle with. The commission Jesus is about to give those who believe in him flows from this authority that's been given to him by the Father. The authority Jesus now has over heaven and earth is the starting for the universal mission he calls his church to. The universal mission he calls you and I to. He gives to all who believe he is the Messiah. A mission. And because Jesus has authority, he can call on all who are his disciples to go out, empowered by the Spirit, given that authority, and be his witnesses to the whole world. Not just Israel, like he did when he sent the disciples out, when he sent the 70 out, when he was alive and with them. No, not just to Israel, but, but to all the world. Acts 1.8 gives us that, that picture. When the Spirit comes upon you, you have power to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Now, the command given to the eleven and the, and the others on the mountain is one which is meant for every person. Every person who believes. And thus is meant for the church as a whole. Right? If we are the church, we're made up of individuals as a church. We also are given a mandate, a great commission, if you will, a command, to, which is simple enough in its statement, make disciples of all nations. Now, the phrase make disciples is one word. It, it's a verb. It's in the imperative form. And it's modified, this word make disciples, by three modifiers, which are go, baptize, and teach. We often look at the passage and we go, oh, we're supposed to go first. No, that's a modifier. What we're supposed to do, the main, the main command here, the, the imperative verb is make disciples. Before we continue, I, I want you to think about something. Statistics on a nationwide survey show only a third of evangelical Christians, regardless of what their, teach, their, their church teaches, a third of evangelical Christians believe making disciples is the purpose of the church. Only a third. That means there's two-thirds of the church that think that the, the church's purpose is something else. The number one, the majority view, was fellowship. The church's purpose is to provide a place for fellowship of, of us, a place for us to love one another, a place for us to, to be together. You know what Jesus is telling us here is the purpose of the church is to make disciples. In fact, he says all nations. Now, this, this doesn't mean Gentiles only. Some think this phrase excludes Jews because they rejected Messiah. That's not the point. The phrase means all tribes, peoples, and languages, all nations. So it includes the nation of Israel. It includes every Jew in Israel or not in Israel. The command is to make disciples of all people without picking and choosing, without any prejudice in thinking. What do you think the purpose of the church is? I would, I would like to think that the majority of us here, and I'm saying majority, would, would think it's to make disciples. I, I hope by the end of this morning we realize that it is just that. We've been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now I want, I want to pause for a moment and think about the value of human life as a motivator for us to make disciples of all people. See, the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade two years ago. But the sanctity of human life is still an issue today. Abortion didn't go away, and our society cares less and less for human life with each passing day. When a society gives worth to a person based upon some man-made measure of value, it doesn't matter your age, whether you're in the womb or out of the womb, whether you're 8 or 80, based on some measure of some man-made measure of value, then individuals who do not meet that standard are going to be overlooked. A society which forgets the sanctity of human life 
will overlook people. There's no way around it. And, and this is where it stings a little bit, the church which does not value human life will fail to make disciples of all people. The church which does not value human life will fail to make disciples of all people. The sanctity of human life, church, the sanctity of human life must always be part of our mental, emotional, and spiritual DNA. Why do we treat others with respect? Why do we care for the elderly? Why, why is it we can love people, even sinful people, who hate us? The answer to all those questions and more is found in our understanding of the sanctity of human life. We must always remember, always remember that people are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. <laughs> all of us are made in the image of God. And therefore, all human life is sacred and has value. We need to make disciples of everyone because everyone is an image bearer of God. Jesus died for him. All right, back to our passage. When, you know, small little rabbit trip. So two years ago when, when the Supreme Court struck that down, a member in our congregation who's since moved uh, down towards Indianapolis came to me and said, you're never going to have to give another sanctioned human life message again. I said, no, 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 no. It may not be a full-blown sermon, but there's always going to be something we have to say to remind us, to remind us of its importance. All right, back to the passage. So there's three participles which modify the verb for you grammar geeks up. The main verb, make disciples, is modified first by this participle go. Now, it's not saying everyone must leave home and become a missionary. See, that wouldn't make sense. Would it? I mean, who's going to support the missionaries if we all go to the mission? Right? But this, this, this participle, this modifier, go, carries with it a bit of, a, of uh, an imperative, a bit of a command. Jesus commanded all of his followers to tell God's story, to tell the gospel story to all people. When coupled with the phrase, all nations, think about this one, it's coupled with that, go to all nations, we have the intention of Jesus' command, we the church are to make certain the gospel goes to all people everywhere. So as individuals, we're to make disciples of family. Right, that's your first mission field, people, your family. To make disciples of friends, those closest to you after your family. And then to your neighbors, those in your sphere of influence. We all have a sphere of influence. Some of our spheres are bigger than others, but we all have a sphere of influence. There are unsafe people, people who don't know Jesus as their Savior in your sphere of influence. And it may start right in your home. It may be the people that you're really good friends with, or it may be those outside. But we're called to make disciples. And the church, the church is, is this, this organism of people, right, that's intimately connected. And we have a responsibility to reach the unreached. And so God raises up missionaries that we partner with. Some of them right out of our own congregation, and others connected to our congregation in one way or another, and we partner with them as they go and reach the unreached. 
So we have the Arungas, who didn't grow up with us, they grew up in Kenya. But they lived with us, they became part of us, and we partnered with them as they went back to Kenya as missionaries. There's the Patons, who are in Hungary, and they're related to us through this connected, this family connection, this family tree, and, and we partner with them as they take the gospel to Hungary. And so it goes with our, our other missionaries. There's connections there, and we've chosen to partner with them as they've been called to take the gospel and make disciples. We've been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Second, we're going to take baptizing and teaching kind of together. They're, they're foundational steps in making disciples. The authors of the New Testament as well as the early church fathers couldn't conceive of, of church members, people in the church, people that claim to know Jesus without them having been baptized and being taught. Baptism and learning are the marks of a true disciple. We in the evangelical church today, for some reason, have separated out, and I don't know how it happened, this coming to faith and baptism comes along later. Early on, they were connected. You came to faith, and you were baptized. You came to faith, and there was a moment, there was a, 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 a season of, of teaching, of of discipling, and you were baptized. And then you were continued into this, this process, the church continued discipling, teaching believers, making disciples. Baptism by immersion into the name of the triune God is a picture of a believer dying on the cross with Jesus and then entering into eternal life through the saving relationship with with God through Jesus. Water, through water baptism, the believer is pledging to live in obedience to God by living for God's glory as a, as a faithful and active member of God's church. So teaching, so you got this baptism and teaching. Teaching a disciple implies something. It implies learning on the disciple's part. And learning is a lifelong discipline. And it begins at baptism, and it continues throughout the, the life of the disciple. And Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I command you. See, the word teaching means to communicate a body of truth, right, to, to a student. Observe means to retain or keep something safe. In other words, you, you receive this, this body of truth, and now you're going you're gonna to keep it safe. You're going to retain it. Jesus commanding everyone, everything that he taught his disciples. Everything that he taught his disciples. And remember, he said, when the Spirit comes, you'll remember everything that I've taught you. So everything that he's taught the disciples is to be communicated to new disciples. And those disciples are to act upon the information while being sure to teach it to others. Accurate. Theologian D.A. Carson explains it this way. I love this quote. I made it into a slide, so listen to this. It then follows that by carefully passing on everything Jesus taught, the first disciples, themselves eyewitnesses, call into being new generations of earwitnesses. You catch, catch how that works. The, the 11 
the early disciples, Paul, Barnabas, eyewitnesses. And they would communicate that truth to other people. And those other people then would bring new generations of not eyewitnesses, but earwitnesses, because they were bringing the gospel. They were, they were collating the, the writings of the, the apostles. They were speaking the truth that they had heard in an accurate fashion. And the gospel was spreading, and it was being built into people's lives, and they were making disciples. You have to be a disciple to make a disciple. You can't accurately pass on what you don't know to be true. So the first thing we all need to know is to be, <coughs> excuse me, to make disciples, we have to be a disciple. As a parent, you disciple your kids every time you sit down and read them a Bible story or tell them a Bible story and you discuss it with them. You're discipling them. As an adult, every time you open your Bible and, and you meditate on or study, kind of pick apart that text, you're training yourself in discipleship. You're making yourself a disciple. The times you spend talking to others about the things you are learning about God is discipleship. Every time Grace Church gets together, whether it's kids ministry, worship team, security team, setting up chairs, etc., we're discipling one another. We're growing as a disciple. We're making a disciple. Those that set up chairs on Saturday, the, the, the work will all get done, or maybe while the work's being done, you can they're talking with each other. Now, they may be just discussing the weather. They may be talking about what they've learned in their, their own times of devotion. But you have to be a disciple to make disciples. We've been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And Jesus ends his commissioning with a powerful and a comforting promise. Remember, I said that the guards were bribed and they were paid so that they could could circulate this falsehood. All the disciples, and, and really now all that we're given is a promise, and it's a great promise. Jesus says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. If you go to the beginning of Matthew, we, we start out with his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And here at the end, Jesus is saying, I'm with you. I will be with you to the very end, he says. The word always captures the idea of the whole of every day. The whole of every day. In other words, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is with us all day, every day, until Jesus establishes his kingdom. We don't know how long that period is, but we do know that God will be with us and his church until the end. And on that we can find comfort. We can rest it. And it too becomes a motive for making disciples. We've been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Be a disciple. Make a disciple. Be intentional about your walk with God. Don't just slide through. Don't just check off Sunday morning. Bible study in the evening during the week, this or that thing. Be intentional. Be a disciple. Make a disciple. We can rejoice. We can rejoice in Jesus' promise. God is with you every day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. May it ring true in our lives. 
God, we ask that you would be glorified by your church, this group of people, Grace Church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.